Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh Hamid Tajwidi. Alhamdulillah, you accepted our invitation. It's a pleasure to have you. Wa alaikum salam, Sheikhna. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. And I know you just recently returned from Iran and you returned to Sydney. I saw you the other day, alhamdulillah, at Sheikh Zaid's house. Um, so, what's the situation like in Iran right now with coronavirus? I think that's the hot topic. And I know, like, hearing the news that there's constantly these spikes that keep occurring in Iran, and I just, you know, I'm worried of, about over there. How's it going? That's right. Uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yes, I arrived in Australia about a month ago, and it's been about two weeks that I've been out of quarantine. Because, as you know, I'm not sure all the viewers would know, but Australia now has the mandatory quarantine. So anyone entering into the country has to stay in hotel quarantine for two weeks before they're allowed to enter into the city or go back home or anything like that. So it's been about two weeks since I've come back. But the situation in Iran, alhamdulillah, now it's getting a bit better. You know, um, in the last few weeks, they introduced uh, some new laws that basically they weren't letting people leave or, you know, gather in public for anything other than, like, zaruriyat, for things that are necessary. Um, and because of that, there's been a sort of downward trend in cases in the last couple of weeks, uh, which is good, because when the virus first arrived, you know, as you know, Iran was probably one of the first countries to really be hit, and, you know, the cases exploded, like, really suddenly. Nobody knew what the virus was. Everyone was still trying to figure it out. Even World Health Organization and all the different health organizations of countries were still trying to figure out what was happening. But, uh, you know, Iran was hit very hard in the beginning. And, you know, the laws that they put in place and the, the actions they took in the beginning really brought down the cases to where it was like in the single digits per day. Mm. Uh, and then, unfortunately, after a while, uh, it started heading up, although most countries, you know, they saw the second wave of the coronavirus. And, you know, it started heading back up again. I think people also got a little bit tired. Yeah. I think <laughs> people get tired of the restrictions. And, yeah, and then that's, that's, that's right. what causes these second and third waves. Exactly. But, yeah. but all right. Now, all right. You know, it's uh, much better than what it was before when it was peaking. And, so know, that's the good. So there's a downward trend right now. That's right, yeah. And new restrictions are, uh, seem to be working, so hopefully they continue and you know, whatever's good for the Iranian society. Sure, that's good. Good to hear. At least it's moving, it's moving in the right direction. Alhamdulillah. All right, yeah. so you were in Iran. How long have you been in studying in Iran now? Now it's been around six years sure. that I've been in Iran. Yeah, in 2014, I went to Iran. And, yeah, six years now. In uh, next year, February, it will be seven years. I'm sure the time flies, huh? Yes, wallah. It, uh, I sometimes I think about it, I think six years. I went to Iran single, you know, just out of university. And now I'm married. I have a kid, alhamdulillah. And, you know, life has changed so much. Come back to Australia, you realize how much things have changed. Yeah. And you're right, six years is pretty... Unbelievable. So, well, there's many more years to go. So, sure. <laughs> What are you studying now? Uh, now, well, I just finished uh, my Lum'a. So the fiqh that we were doing was Lum'a uh, for Shahid al-Thani. And I also studied the Halaqat for Usul for mm. Shahid Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr. And I finished Halaqat al-Thani, the second book. So inshallah, now that I'm in Australia... Uh, I'm going to try to continue online and ma mainly focus on my fiqh al-nusur yeah. and continue with halaqa thalitha and uh, possibly makasib until yeah. we see how it goes. Sure. So, do you have, obviously you have plans to go back to the house, eh? Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, this trip that I came to Fagan, I plan to come for an extended period. This is the 
Well, this is the first trip I've made back to Australia in summer since I've been in Hausa. So mm. after six years, it's the first Australian summer. And as you can tell, it's quite warm. <laughs> <laughs> Even though bomb summers themselves are pretty warm. But Australia is, uh, you know. For our viewers, summer here is winter where, where you are in the Northern Hemisphere. Right? right? So if right. someone's listening in America or the UK, he's talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, right now in Australia, it's, it's summer. <laughs> yeah, winter in the Northern yeah. Hemisphere. So this yeah. year, alhamdulillah, I got to see two summers. So <laughs> I'm not very well built for summer either. So but alhamdulillah. 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 It's raining a little bit today. I just got really? a, I just got from outside and it I washed my car and then as uh, I was driving out of the car wash, it started to rain. So perfect. Alhamdulillah. That's always how it goes. <laughs> as soon as you wash the car, you're lucky there's no rain here. Uh, mm. Maybe more suburbs. Yeah, it, it was very light. Very light. Oh, right, very nice. Yeah. Now yeah. here it's a bit uh, cloudy, but still no rain so far today. Mm -hmm. All right, so Sheikh Hamid, so you wanted to talk about um, Islam in the media and some some topics surrounding you know media in general as well. So wow. I, was, I was kind of curious to see where you wanted to go with this. So I'm going to yeah. let you open it up, and then Inshallah we'll chime in when we have opinions. Wow. Inshallah. Yeah, I thought about the topic of Islam in the media because, firstly, relating to coronavirus, because you know now everything's happening with coronavirus, and you asked about the situation in Iran, and obviously, Islam in the media is a massive topic in and of itself. So, you know, there's a lot of different fields, different areas. But one thing, Allah, leading on from the coronavirus thing that I want to touch on is the whole uh, situation regarding the media uh, coverage of coronavirus in Iran. I remember we were, uh, it was around early 2020, obviously, around March, where the coronavirus first came to Iran. And we were living in Qom at that time, and most of the other brothers were still in Qom. You know, a lot of them have since returned to Australia. But I remember back then, the coverage that was happening, you know, with regarding especially Western media outlets regarding the situation in Iran was very uh, far from the reality that we could see, you know, in mm. our own experiences and even statistically, you know. Back then, I remember I was working with a few different groups. We had a few projects regarding like the coronavirus and, you know, it was still new. There was still a lot of uh, things that were unknown about it. Uh, one of the things that we worked on was the whole idea of doing a ghusl, ghusl mayyit, you know. So is it uh, even like acceptable to do ghusl mayyit for someone who has died from coronavirus because of the potential risks of transmission? So we had to research into that as well. And eventually the findings were presented to the um, re relevant uh, or relevant, uh, relevant yeah, authorities and uh, like they allowed for the ghusl to continue and the proper burial procedures to happen and it was deemed that with the proper precautions there was no real risk. But I remember at that time, even with regards to the ghusl issue, media within Iran that was influenced and outside of Iran were really stepping up their game, turning this whole coronavirus situation which really affected every country in the world now. They're making it very political. And one of the things that they were doing was trying to decrease people's trust in the government, saying the government has failed, the government uh, doesn't know what it's doing, or even you know spreading conspiracy theories, the government's doing it on purpose. I remember it was around election time that uh, you know it was the uh, elections for the parliament of Iran. And just a few days before it, the news of corona really you know came out, and there were certain groups trying to spread like conspiracy theories that the government is trying to keep it out of the news so people go and vote, you know, they're trying to lessen the, the I guess, news cycle about corona, make people ignorant of corona so people can go vote. And which, you know, at the time, like the first few cases had only just been discovered and uh, like people still didn't know what was happening. Although with voting, we went and there was all precautions. There was a lot of, you know, there's antiseptics and gloves and even the pens that were used were like 
cleaned and disinfected and stuff like that. The question, but, when, when you're talking about media that's sent, you mentioned that the media was trying to make the Iranian government look, look bad or make people lose trust in the government, right? That's right. What media outlets are you referring to? Are you referring to the, the Iranian media outlets outside of the country or media in general? Media, I would say media in general, uh, not necessarily Iranian outlets outside of the country, although they usually pick up on these trends. And even some outlets, unfortunately, within the country that, you know, uh, get their news from outside rather than uh, inside. I remember Sayyid Khamenei, Hafizahullah, during the protests in 2009, when, you know, there was uh, some rioting happening in Tehran, uh, he said, you know, now there's some people that are getting news about the riots from TV channels, from uh, media outside of Iran, or even Iranian Farsi language media outside of Iran. They're getting news about things that are happening outside their door. You know, just step out, look for yourself, see what's happening. So when I say media, in general, Western media, I remember one of the main issues that we're trying to focus on was the like alleged cover-up. You know, Iran was trying to cover up coronavirus, and they came with different conspiracy theories. One of them, I remember it was uh, in a few outlets, I think Business Insider also covered it, uh, was saying they were digging mass graves in Qom. Mm. Uh, they had some satellite photos of graves being dug, and they were trying to frame it as like, firstly, the numbers are much higher than what the government's reporting, and secondly, they're doing these secret mass grave like burials so that no one knows what's happening. And Yeah, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I came did. across those, yeah. Yeah, so firstly, like it was out in the public, like there was no secret cover-up. You know, there were people dying. It's not something you can deny, but um, the interesting thing is the exact same thing happened. I'll let the point about the secret graves and trying to make it look big is that, you know, they were trying to say like the deaths were being covered up and they're in the like tens of thousands and, you know, and they try to use this as evidence. And then this exact same thing happened in New York just a, a few weeks or months after where they were actually digging mass graves and there were actually tens of thousands of people being buried and the media didn't really cover it with the same enthusiasm as they did in Iran. So these kind of things, also a lot of, uh, now we're in the age of fake news, you know, as you know, a lot of videos circulating that God knows where it could have been filmed or like, not to go into conspiracy theory territory, but you know, someone's taken a photo of some, you know, like building somewhere and there's like body bags on the ground. And like, you don't know where this is. You don't know, are those really bodies? You don't know like what the situation is, no context. These kind of things that can easily be manipulated. And when it comes to Iran, as you know, um, they have been historically one of the big uh, fronts, I guess, is the media war that anything they can do to try to make Iran look bad, specifically the government, make it look incompetent, you know, make it look like it doesn't care about its own people, they will do. And in Corona, when the coronavirus, COVID-19 first struck, like there was a big, massive uh, media onslaught from the Western media and uh, Persian language media outside of Iran, and of course some within Iran that follow the same tune, trying to paint uh, the situation as much more severe than it was. And of course, when the virus spread and eventually reached most other countries in Europe, uh, most Western countries, then the same outlets, whether Western media or even the Iranian outlets within Iran, became more silent than they, like I said, they lacked the same enthusiasm of reporting about these things because they realized, oh, the, the situation isn't going in our favor, you know. Iran is doing well in terms of uh, stopping the virus, controlling it, bringing numbers down. And in a lot of you know, European countries, it was really taking off, particularly at that time. Italy was, you know, massively affected by it. Mm. And and now we can see Sweden, you know. I don't know if you're following the news with Sweden. They, no. Yeah, because, you know, the Swedish government in the beginning, they, they followed the whole herd immunity. 
theory. They said that, you know, we'll just let everyone catch coronavirus and then, you know, um, it, there'll be enough people that have it and have gotten better that the immunity will pass on and, you know, it won't spread. And recently now the Prime Minister basically came, come out and said, as we say in Farsi, <laughs> like, I stuffed up, I, I, I said it wrong. And now, you know, it's very bad, unfortunately, the situation in Sweden and um, the some of the medical experts are saying even if the uh, vaccine comes out, they basically can't do anything about it now. It's too late. Yeah, it, it's very interesting how, you know, obviously news in general always is politicized and whoever is carrying a news story, whatever news, you know, news outlet is presenting the story, they're presenting it with a certain, um, as they say, sujet in Farsi. Like there's, there's a certain goal that they have in presenting the story the way they're presenting it, right? They want, they want the audience to walk away with their opinion. Now, you could, I could see with the coronavirus, all throughout the world, it's been very politicized. So, as you said, with the coverage with Iran, there's a certain line that they're trying to tell. They're trying to, you know, make people lose confidence in the Iranian government or make the Iranian government look bad. And then when the same, as you mentioned, when the same thing happens in other countries, they're silent because it's not in their favor to talk about it. They don't, they don't want people to lose confidence in the American government. So they're not going to talk about it in that way, for instance. That's right. In America itself, you have the whole wear the mask or don't wear the mask, and that's been politicized, and that's, that's you know, right. internally that's a big issue there. And yeah. you, have, you could see that, you know, even here in Australia, open up the border, don't open up the border. Like, uh, there's, there's always, you know, everyone's taking a position. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the vaccine's going to come out, and that's going to be another very politicized yeah, very um, aspect, right? Yeah. It's going to be very contentious, and mm -hmm. we could see. I want to. I want to move away from just coronavirus specifically and move more general, right? Yeah. And when we're looking at Islam, right? What when we know that media outlets play this role, that this is what they're doing, right? That they're not that any media outlet you look at, regardless of where it is, internally yeah. in Iran, the you know the national. Iranian news source, they, you know, they want people to, to walk away with a certain opinion about the government. And those outside, right, they, they have the opposite opinion, right? right. As, as Muslims, as people who should be informed about what's happening around the world, and specifically what's happening in the Islamic world, what, um. what should we do to make sure that we're kind of receiving true, not you know, news that's true, not not being fooled by the like fake news, news or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, like what what approach should we be taking? Um, it's, it's a very uh, difficult uh, topic in, in terms of what approach should we be taking. Firstly, uh, one thing which is very uh, bad is, in general, our lack of representation within the news. You know, um, and not representation as in, you know, joining these media conglomerates or, you know, trying to have Muslim-looking faces within media. In terms of, like, grassroots, independent groups uh, within the Muslim community and non-Muslim community. At the end of the day, the search for truth is something which isn't just restricted to us as Muslims. When it comes to the news and a lot of uh, non-Muslims are facing the same problem with, you know, trying to counteract fake news or these uh, other issues that are coming up. So one thing is that we really are not active in these fields, unfortunately, and that's something that we need to work on in terms of not only consuming the news, but producing the news. Uh, you mentioned the point, uh, which is very true, at the end of the day, uh, every sort of media outlet that exists uh, particularly the, the bigger media outlets, um, which are beholden to certain people, whether it's companies or groups, um, they have to take a certain stance and they want to pull people towards a certain thing. And 
I guess it's natural, but it really depends what you uh, what are you trying to pull them towards, you know. And I think that's where Islam would have a lot to offer. Um, obviously, you know, you're the sheikh, you're your students, <laughs> so you have to lead the way in these kinds of things. Um, but in general, um, there's this interesting documentary. I think I mentioned it to you about uh, like social media, you know. Uh, it's called the social dilemma. I'll we'll talk. Uh, we'll come back to this uh, topic about social media a bit later. But uh, that was basically what the the premise of the documentary is that you know the media, particularly social media, is trying to get us um, just to consume. You know, their whole angle was that they want to try to sell us products. You know, so they're beholden to the advertising. You know, so in that sense, they're going to do anything which is going to be a positive on their revenue. They want to make money. The other media outlets, say like CNN or Fox or whatever, they might be beholden to a certain political party or to the establishment. So they want you to take away the points that are in, uh, you know, more <laughs> One point is I've forgotten how to speak English. I've been in Iran for so long. I've forgotten a lot of words. They basically want you to take away things that are in line with their political party. And even like you said, within Iran, um, there's no doubt that there's a certain uh, like line that wants to be pushed in terms of what do they want to give to people? What do they want people to come away from? Although, in general, I'd say that I'm more happy with the way Iranian media would present things, although they've got a lot of shortcomings. You know, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to the, um, the broadcasting network in Iran, there's a lot of shortcomings which uh, we often, you know, um, pick at. You know, we make fault with a lot of things that they do uh, just incorrectly. But it all comes down to um, us as Muslims, as a community, not being active, you know, we we consume the news, we consume these different, uh, I guess, lines that are being fed to us, and we we haven't created uh, much when it comes to grassroots independent media. And I think uh, I just want to cut in. You yeah, mentioned yeah. social media, and I think social media plays a huge role in this, right? Because yeah. before before social media kind of became big or even before it existed, people would go straight to the media source. They would go to CNN, they would go to LA Times, New York Times, whatever they'd go to. And that's where they'd get their news from. Wow. Now, majority of people are not going onto their websites. That's what it. they're doing is they're being fed news through their social media accounts. So they go on Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram or whatever. And they see, a, you know, one of their friends will post, a, you know, post a news article. Yeah. And they'll read the headlines, and they might or might not even click on the article. But exactly. that 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 is all the news that they're getting are these yeah. headlines that are popping up on their social media feeds. So then that yeah. gives the power because you were mentioning that that video, the social dilemma, that um, documentary. Right. That gives social media outlets the power to kind of skew public opinion exactly. in one direction because they could, you know, they could make certain links more popular in people's feeds and yeah. make other links less popular. And then people are coming across certain type of news stories and then they're shaping opinion in that way. Obviously, as you said, they want to make money. So they want to keep you on. They want to keep you on the screen as long as possible. So then you might click on the the ad or something. But it is an interesting ripple, and I know in the states they talk about it a lot because they say that's how Russia interfered in the in the elections last time, or that's you know, and they're attacking Facebook and they're attacking different media outlets to try to make sure that. You know, um, foreign, for, you know, foreign people or whatever, foreign, foreign agencies aren't able to influence in this way. 
And then also Twitter has come and started banning like uh, even Trump's tweets sometimes. Yes, They'll ban them. <laughs> so they could ban whatever they want. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the bigger issue, I think, because uh, like regards to social media in general, like you said, the power they have now is something which is unsurpassed throughout history. You know, It's a very small group of people in Silicon Valley which you know, control what maybe the majority of the people in the world see and hear. And like you said, it's all about, for them, they're not inherently like evil. Um, if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they made a product and they want to make money. So like you said, they want to just try to keep people um, clicking, you know, and keep people scrolling and then uh, active on their social media as much as they can. So they can feed them more ads and they can make more money. But what happens was, what happens is that because of these algorithms, then that's when all these different, uh, like oh, they, they, the term they use for it is polarization, you know, that uh, like everyone lives in their own little bubble because based on what you see, based on what you hear, like you said, your friend shares a link, you'll scroll, you'll read it. It sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everything that you're fed is that what you're interested in and because you spend more time on it, it feeds back into it and it keeps coming back and coming back. So like I said, to give them the benefit of the doubt, they might not necessarily be evil, but just the, the, the way the system is set up keeps it like this. And like you said, they can control what people see, they can control what people uh, come across. And forget foreign interference, but uh, what about internal interference? Who says, you know, Facebook should have that much power? Who says, or not even Facebook, but, you know, a lot of these um, big tech companies also do deals with uh, intelligence agencies, whether it be the CIA or otherwise. So who knows the, the amount of data they're collecting and the amount of influence they have. There was a point that was also mentioned in the documentary about, like, voting. You know, that there was a specific thing they wanted to push about getting people out to go vote, you know, and again, I don't remember the exact statistics, but they uh, had like a 30% increase or something, and they could correlate it to these sort of timed posts that they made, so not only is it just that we're sitting and reading, but it has real life um, consequences, you know, they can affect elections, you know, and like you said, if Twitter has the ability to block the president of America's tweets, then that's a power that I think no one has ever had before. Definitely. The consequences that has on us just as human beings, our society is really, really heavy. But at the end of the day, it is a regulatory issue. And that's, I guess, where Islam comes in. Um, like, it's, it's a deep topic because, unfortunately, not a lot of work has been done on it. You know, we can talk about grassroots independent media like us as Muslims obviously we're always taught to go seek the truth you know whether it agrees with us or doesn't agree with us you know uh, we have to go and try to find out what's the reality so social media we shouldn't just like you said scroll and look at a headline and believe it which is unfortunately what happens subconsciously or go in your mind but not only us as like individuals as users but on a regulatory front, the work that needs to be done is um, a, a proper um, inspection and analysis from the Islamic uh, teachings upon social media. And that's, I think, the thing that we're lacking now. Although it's being worked on. I believe, I don't know what your opinion is, but I believe this is a regulatory issue in terms of media and how to control it, but it just needs to be done very smart, because if it's as simple as banning certain things, oftentimes that doesn't work, you know, and people will find ways to get access to that kind of content anyway, but there needs to be a correct regulatory approach with regards to power of media and really reshaping the whole idea of what media is, which is... I guess. Uh, I mean, it's changing. It's definitely changing. Right? Yeah, it so, is. social media has changed media, and even now, everyone has a phone in their hand, has a recording device in their hand. 
people are putting up, you know, videos and pictures immediately onto social media. And this, you know, that's a source of news. So you have the, the whole system of news is changing dramatically. That's right. Um, and I that's think, I think we're going to have to wait until the dust settles to yeah. kind of see what changes are going to happen and what effect this is going to have. So this is all still pretty right. new. So exactly. you could see, like, as you mentioned, search, you know, certain social media outlets are now, now have the power to create huge changes in the society. And I think that's yeah. going to have to decrease because that's probably that's not right. the way that, that, you know, it should work. So, it should be run <laughs> like, private corporations. You know, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is interesting. I want to go back, though, and look at us just as a normal Muslim because what I see in the community is two, like, majority, like I'm going to generalize yeah. here, is like two yeah. groups of people. One group yeah. of, per one group of pe person is someone who barely has any knowledge of anything that's happening in the world. So they can't be bothered with politics. They that's can't right. be bothered with the news. They'll watch sport. They'll, they'll watch movies and yeah. TV shows and they'll get on TikTok and whatever. And they're going to, and, but they don't have an understanding of the world an understanding yeah. of how the world works. And they kind of float around and move forward in life. And then, you know, they're, but they're not aware of the political sensitivities that's happening. And they're not aware of how, you know, Muslim countries are being attacked through the media. And then they're just buying it. You know, they're just accepting everything they hear. And, you know, that's that has its own problem. Then on the other side, you have people who do want to be informed. And they cling to, let's say, only they cling to media sources that are in our favor. So just as you said, yeah. on their social media, they're in a bubble. And yeah. all of the news, you know, the news articles that get sent to them through these, through this media outlet, through the social media outlet, are things that, you know, just confirm their opinion. That's right. So they're, not they're yeah. not necessarily growing. They're not analyzing. They're not, you know, they're not really... They're not looking at both sides of the issue. They're getting yeah. information that's congruent with the, with the thought pattern that they already have, right? That's right. And I don't, you know, although it's good that they're informed to to a certain extent, uh -huh. right, I don't think that's great either. Like I think the best the best scenario is yeah. someone to be able to look at a situation, read read sources from multiple different angles and then analyze the situation and come to an opinion about it right although that takes time yeah it takes it takes a know-how of how to navigate and find you know different media sources that you could not necessarily trade not going to trust all of them but that yeah. you could take from to look at the situation yeah exactly and i feel that that individual is very rare yeah and i think th i think in the past that type of individual was more common because you could go on because you wouldn't have social media and you wouldn't be so you're not spending time on social media and when you want to get news you're looking at five or ten different news sources and you're reading them all and then you're huh this one said this said this they're both talking about the same story in different ways why is this? And then you're analyzing it. But now you're just getting fed everything that you already agree with. So you're not really analyzing anything. It's a bit of information overload. Mm -hmm. And it is a bit of a double-edged sword because on one hand, you're, you're right. You know, because of social media and just the amount of information that's being fed, um, it's often hard to distinguish what's right, what's wrong. And it's just there's too much information, which does cause apathy in a lot of people. Like you said, they're just they're not bothered. You know, they just want to sit back, they're at work all week, they want to come home, watch sports or TV or Netflix or whatever, you know, and just relax. They don't want to be bothered with all this kind of stuff. But they are passive consumers. At the end of the day, they are taking all these things on. And whether we like it or not, subconsciously, the things that we are seeing, 
you know, checking our messages, um, checking the news feed, it all does feed into this sort of subconscious worldview that we build. We might not even know it, but then uh, after a while we realize we have certain attitudes towards certain things. Mm. And the way that it can affect our behavior is really, really dangerous. So on one hand, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, bad that you know social media has got such a, I guess, monopoly now on people's lives. And people are, it's much more rare, as you said, to find someone who will put time to really look and analyze and all that kind of thing. On the other hand, it's also good that there is sort of diversified information now that you don't need to be beholden to certain groups like the CNNs or the MSNBCs or Fox or like in Australia, we have the regular channels or ABC News or SBS. Or, you know, so it's good because people have really lost trust in these major networks. So to be able to go to independent media outlets and sort of get different perspectives is good. But like you said, the bigger issue is people, on one hand, not being bothered, and on the other hand, actually wanting to, but not knowing where to start, you know, wanting to be active, wanting to do something. Because as we know, like I said, you know, in Islam, we are obviously taught to seek the truth uh, and with regards to these things, Islam is not even uh, a topic of discussion. You know, this is a basic human function. Um, and the, the failure, I think, comes from us, not necessarily the average Muslim, you know, because to undertake that research and to go and through all these steps, you have to have some sort of like foundation, which I think a lot of people are missing. You know, they don't know how to interact with social media correctly. They don't know how to interact in with media in general correctly. Like it's the uh, media literacy which is really lacking. And that's on the part of people who are in these fields need to present, uh, I guess, models of how to interact with media. And that's what Islam in itself needs to do. You know, the current models of interacting with media are the whole, like, um, the, the business side of it, you know, these, like I said, it's, it's interacting, you get your notifications, you look it up, the news pops up and it passes. But we, we need a new model of interacting with media. Uh, what can a, a, a normal Muslim do? I don't know. I think it's a very difficult question. Do you have an idea about a normal Muslim who wants to try to, I guess, navigate his way throughout all these different media outlets when potentially none exist. I mean, I wouldn't say none exist. As you said, there's grassroots media organizations out there, but it's hard to, it's hard to find them. It's hard to, you know, keep up with them. And, and obviously if you're a grassroots media organization is normally going to be small time in a particular area, right? They're not going to be, they're not going to be on a world scale. So if you're trying to get information about multiple areas of the world, then just knowing one little grassroots organization is yeah. going to help you. Well, that's why it is our, I guess it's our duty in a way, if we do see these independent organizations. And we know that, like again, it doesn't necessarily need to be a Muslim organization. You know, as long as we know the people that are doing it are like decent people, you know, they don't necessarily have any, I guess, hidden agendas to push or you can tell that they're really seeking to navigate this media minefield in a way, in a, in a way to, I guess, reach the objective truth. Um, and particularly Muslim media, uh, if we see Muslim grassroots media, again, like we don't want to live in a, a bubble, but it's something that we're really lacking. So when we do see it, I think it's our duty as Muslims to support it in any way we can, you know, give time if they need or financially, that's a thing we can uh, easily do now. A lot of people don't have time or patience to come and actually do things, but at least they can support financially. You know, one of the projects that we are doing now in Iran, although we've been doing it for a couple of years, it's um, it's called, uh, well, it's in Farsi, it's called Kharaj Bedouna Filter. So it's like, I guess, the world unfiltered. You know, and part of the the whole goal of what we were doing is because of the amount of fake news that's being pushed 
from outside Iran into Iran. And, you know, like you said, people aren't really active users of social media. They're very passive. They consume. So the big problem in Iran was the, the whole media atmosphere was designed in a way, particularly from outside media, to, again, like related to what I mentioned about the coronavirus situation, about society in general. It's to sort of make people lose hope, make people lose trust, um, become apathetic, I guess, at best, or extreme uh, at worst, you know. So part of what we did, and again, this is what I think may be a lesson for just the average Muslim who wants to know how to sort of see what's real, what's not real, the truth among all these stories. We would just basically investigate these stories. You know, rumors would pop up. And in Iran, the framing is always that, you know, these Western countries, whatever they are, are better than Iran. They're superior. That's the framing they use. So they pick a, a particular issue and they p pick a particular Western country and they say, look how good this country is dealing with this issue. You know, like say homelessness, for example, or, uh, you know, crime and punishment or just general well-being, welfare, you know, security, these kind of things. They'll pick a, the best example and they'll come and they say, look, Iran has failed. You know, Iran has done this very bad. They haven't been able to fix this issue. And what we'll basically do, our group, the World Unfiltered group, was we'll research into these things. And we, we've got a, a few pages on Instagram and Telegram and Itai is one of the messaging apps in Iran. And all these claims that would come out would research, would post our findings and include all the links that we used, all the sources, so people can check and verify. So one thing I would suggest, just for general people, is whenever you see a particular news, even if it's in line with what you think, even if it's in your like social media bubble or your media bubble, the like less the lesser thing, the like most basic thing you can do is just ask for a link. And if someone says something, oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear this happen? So where's your link? You know, if you read something, just look into where it's coming from. If you read a headline, don't just read it and, you know, go on. A lot of times headlines are very clickbaity and we just see something. And then when you read the article itself, it's 180 degrees opposite to the headline. So if, we, if you find a problem in this, then we have to be a little bit active. And the, the least amount of thing we can do is just ask for verification. Ask, where's your link? What study is that based on? Who said that? Is that person credible or not? And a lot of problems will be fixed within that. Like one example, not to waffle on too much about this topic, but... Well, first, before you go, I think that's one of the things that we could do. Or, or yeah. That the normal Muslim can do. Not yeah. necessarily just ask for links, but... When an issue comes up, and that issue, for instance, could be homelessness, or it could be, yep. I don't know, anything, any issue that, that pops up, be it social, be it international politics, be it a certain individual, what, whatever it is, you, you can go and, as you've done, you can research. Yeah. Right? So, as, as your organization that you're talking about goes and researches a certain topic, you're looking yeah. at multiple different sources. You're looking at the links. If someone's quoting someone in an article, you're looking to find the original source. Did yeah. they say that? A lot of times they did say it, but it's taken way yeah. out of context here. That's they right. said it, but it's not what they meant. What what you're saying is not what they meant. Yeah. Right? So doing that is obviously it, it needs time. People don't have hours and hours and hours to research everything. But if That's someone right. wanted to be kind of aware of a certain topic, yeah. right, or a certain country, or a certain, you know, certain area, some something, you could do it. Yeah. You could do research in that one area. Yeah, you might not be aware in everything, but I think the world's kind of moving in a direction where you can't be aware of everything. And it's not, yeah, it's not practical, and it's not even necessary to be aware of everything. You know, a lot of things that are just, uh, I guess, background noise. We we infl like conflate them as important issues where. They don't really affect anything, you know. 
even like the the American elections. Like at the end of the day, uh, for us living in Australia, there's not that much like emphasis we should be placing into it. You know, we can't control the outcome. We can't do anything. Why should we waste so much time and energy? You know, debating it among friends and all these kind of things. And this candidate said that, and this candidate said that. Who cares? You know, at the end of the day, like you said, we can't be informed about everything. Nor should we be, because you know we have our lives to live. But in that note, I think. So you, sorry, you're going to say an example of yeah. of a topic that you researched, and I think that's good. If you could also kind of touch upon how, like, the steps you took to research it, then then maybe we could learn from that. I'll, I'll just say uh, I'll, I'll give the example, and then I'll say about uh, the practical, I guess, implications of it. Um, we were doing a, like, as usual, like I said, in Iran, every um, few months, uh, a big story will come out about a certain country and how good they are, you know, and they'll try to compare it to Iran and say how bad Iran is. So in this particular instance, it wasn't a new story either, but it had done the rounds a few times, then it, you know, faded out, then came back again. It was in the Netherlands. They... And this issue, like I said, with regards to media, not to talk myself up or the organization up, but I think we were the only people to actually cover it the way that we did. All across Western media, if you search this topic, which I'll mention in a second, all you would see was flat praise. People would, like, regardless of what country the news outlet was from, whether it's BBC in the UK or you know, any of the US outlets or even European outlets, they were just praising the Netherlands for closing prisons, you know. That was the the whole topic. And they were saying that, you know, in the Netherlands, because they have such low crime, that prisons are closing because they don't have enough prisoners, you know. So straight away I thought this, Ajib, it sounds like something's, you know, wrong here it doesn't sound something like it doesn't sound like something that could be true how is it possible you know a, a, a nation which you know although we know i'll expand upon the crimes and things like that can be closing prisons because of lack of prisoners so we decided to research into it a bit you know and everywhere that we found you know with other news covering this issue it was just the same the netherlands is so great their crime is so low they're closing prisons because they don't have enough prisoners to fit in there, you know. And what I ended up doing was, firstly, with the help of Google Translate a little bit, um, and also a few friends and things that uh, spoke Dutch and could understand, uh, I would go into the actual government documents of the Netherlands, you know. So prison records, police records, uh, court records, and we would we wanted to basically find out what's the real story here what's happening is it really true that there's just no prisoners no one's committing crime how is that possible like if it is then great good on them i mean that's something which we want we don't want crime but it just seems a bit um, unrealistic so one of the things that i found out was there was a recent uh, change to a law which decriminalized a lot of Minor offences, Bob. So a lot of drug offences were decriminalised and no more prison sentences. A lot of other minor things like theft, which is a massive problem uh, in the Netherlands, especially bike theft because they've got so many bikes. So a lot of these issues were decriminalised. So automatically what happens? The statistics of crime go down because these are no longer considered crimes that are prosecuted. Uh, another issue was that, yes, they were closing prisons. So the number of prisons that went down, they would open up, for example, close two, three prisons and open up one prison. But what they were doing was that they would close maybe three small prisons with two, three hundred population and open up a new prison with a thousand capacity. You know, so they were closing prisons, but they weren't closing them because there was no criminals. They were closing them because of a lack of, uh, sorry, because of uh, the building of new prisons, which had a higher population, uh, a higher capacity. 
Another issue was that there was a leaked document from the police, and this wasn't translated, and I didn't find it anywhere, that talked about the crime rate um, being abysmally, the reported crime rate being abysmally low. So the police were saying that there was an internal document within the Netherlands police. They were basically saying that we don't investigate most crimes. Uh, so out of the crimes that were investigated, uh, I think rough uh, crimes that were reported, I think roughly half were investigated. You know, so if you don't investigate crime, then you're not going to have uh, a high number of criminals because you haven't done it. Another issue was that uh, the real crime figure, as they said, was estimated to be 30% higher than the official statistics. And this was the police document. The real crime figure was 30% higher than official statistics. So when you look at official statistics, it says this amount of crime, and they would say, oh, that's low. Well, the real figure was 30% higher. Another issue was that burglaries, for example, were so common in major cities that, again, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was something crazy like 70% of people that experienced burglaries didn't even report them to the police because they had so little faith in the police and the justice system to bring these people to justice and do anything about it and to actually um, investigate, which the police documents themselves had proven that they don't investigate most of the crimes. And the people had no trust in the police system. So something like 70%, again, don't quote me on that because I could be mistaken, but it was a very high number of people that experienced burglaries, didn't even report them. So if we collect all these things together, lack of reporting crime, you know, uh, police documents saying that crimes aren't investigated, true crime figure being much higher than it is, prisons being closed, uh, and part of the reason prisons were being closed was also to save money for the government in terms of managing these facilities. So it was easier for them to create new prisons with uh, like certain structures that would easily be able to be managed. Um, so closing prisons and opening one prison in its place. So officially it looks good. Crime is very low, prisons are being closed, but if you dig deep, you find that realistically it's a cover-up, <laughs> to say it lightly, you know? And then and did, you, did you publish these findings? Yes, we published them um, on our page. And we got Is a it very in Farsi or just English? It's in Farsi. No, it's in Farsi. Mm -hmm. um, our page, Kharaj Beduna Filter, all of our posts are in Farsi. And although we do plan, well, not necessarily us, but we've also been encouraging other people to um, create English language versions, you know, just to investigate, you know, these kinds of claims and these kinds of things. Uh, because ultimately, the goal of certain media outlets within Iran, when they're trying to push these things about how bad Iran is, is to make people lose faith in the government. And more so than the government, lose faith in Islam, saying that Islam doesn't have the ability to manage a country. Look, you know, look at all these other countries that are secular, you know, look at all these other countries that don't have religion. Look how good they are. You know, Netherlands uh, is known for, you know, being a very tolerant society on, like, marijuana, for example. So, like, look, you know, they're very liberal, they're very easygoing, and they've managed to keep crime so low. So look at you, you know, with your sharia and all this, you know, strict laws, you failed. So when people see this and they say, oh, you know, the Netherlands is closing prisons, you know, or, you know, any other claims that they make, you know, one of these ridiculous claims was that uh, um, in, I think it was in Germany or Austria, someone took a video of a, a shop in the middle of the mountains with no shopkeeper and they had a bucket. They said, whoever wants to take something, just put the money in there. And they put it in Iran. And they said, look, you know, they're such good people, they're such trustworthy people that they'll leave their shop with no shopkeeper and they'll leave a bucket and people will put money in there, you know? And then you go into the statistics of actual theft in those countries and it's skyrocketing. And then we I, found, I've seen that here in Australia. Right, exactly. Yeah, like it was uh, near one of, the, one of these waterfalls somewhere on, on yeah. the south coast and we're driving by it and it had jars of honey. 
And yeah. he said five dollars a jar, ten up, fifteen dollars a jar, whatever it is. Put the money in the in the bucket we have here and take your honey. Exactly. But that doesn't mean there's no theft in Sydney, you know. Exactly, but that's the the idea they want to push. But that's you know? the sujet. That's how exactly. that's how they present it. They present it in a way that they want you to take something. Exactly. For us, it's because we lived in uh, different countries, in Western countries, Eastern countries. So it's something very obvious, you know, that well, because you see one shop in the middle of nowhere that has a few things on for sale in a bucket. And But unfortunately, in Iran, the, the way they were pushing it is that, look, if that happened in Iran, they'll take the shop by its foundations and take it with them, you know, and these kind of things. So we found like dozens of examples um, uh, of Shops in Iran, in major cities, not in the middle of the mountains or in the middle of, you know, God knows where. In Tehran, in Mashhad, in Qom, where shopkeepers had their shop open and no security cameras, no nothing. They had a little bucket and anything you wanted to take, you could either swipe your card or you could put money in. And, you know, it was something very normal in the middle of a city. And, like, it's just these basic kind of things. So the whole agenda that they were trying to push is that idea that, you know, they are superior to us. They are more trustworthy. They are more advanced. Their ideology, therefore, is better than us. You know, if we want to be like them in terms of, if we want to be advanced like them, if we want to be cultured like them, you know, people of sophistication, then we have to also follow them in other things, you know. So that's the idea that they're trying to push within Iran. And part of our project was to counter this idea in that, no, we, as Iranians, or generally as Muslims, we do have a lot to be proud of. And in a lot of ways, within Iran or even other Muslim or Islamic countries, there are a lot of very, very positive things that we might not necessarily have in the West. You know, there are a lot of things that they have been successful at. A lot of problems have been successful at dealing with that maybe Western countries are still struggling. And this is a big topic. We'd have to schedule another podcast to talk about that. But the idea is to give confidence back to the people. Because like once they lose their confidence, they lose any motivation to change themselves for the better. They say, we have no chance of improving, so there's no point in me participating. And going back to us as regular Muslims in the in the Western countries, I guess, English-speaking countries or, you know, one of the things that I believe must be done is that mu'mineen, people that are actually interested in this topic, should be taking up this responsibility. They should see it as a religious responsibility. Now, Sheikh, now, if you disagree, you feel free to disagree with me, Yanni, but I believe this is a religious uh, responsibility that the things that we're doing, what we did with Kharaj uh, Baduna Filter, the World Unfiltered, we didn't have any budget, we didn't have any fancy equipment or anything, we literally started uh, with nothing, you know, and Alhamdulillah it's grown and, you know, now we have, uh, you know, made a lot of progress in this issue, but we started with nothing, you don't need anything, you know, فَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ أَسْبَاهِ, you know, you just need to rely on Allah and Really, Allah will help. So I think the mu'mineen, the, the, the shabab, the youth, who do think this is an issue, as we said, you know, a lot of people don't know where to begin. A lot of people are stuck. They, they can do the research if they're bothered. Oftentimes, they don't do the research. They don't know where to research. So like what we did and what I encouraged the uh, brothers and sisters who are active in this and care about this is to do research for people. And the best thing is that you don't need to come up with uh, an Islamic side to it or anything like that. Us, our project has nothing really openly Islamic about it. Um, all you need to do is be honest with people. And I think the Shabab need to do that. Create groups, research about these topics. If you find an issue that's really spoken about or debated hotly in society, do your research, present it factually. Present all your links for research and let people make up their own minds. You know, you don't even need to come up with a certain angle that you want to feed people. The truth will speak for itself. And that's what I believe we are trying to do with Kharaj Baduna Filter, 
any angle we just say this is the information these are the links this is the reality you can make up your own mind mm -hmm. just before we finish another aspect that I just want to quickly mention one was that us as mu'minin just general people living in society one regular people that are users of the uh, social media or news media need to do their research two the youth or not necessarily even restricted to the youth, but anyone who cares about this, Muslim or non-Muslim, and sees this as an issue, needs to work on it and provide these outlets for people. Making media now is easier than it has ever been. Making a YouTube channel, making a Facebook page, an Instagram page, is so easy. All you need is to dedicate a little bit of time, tawakkul ala Allah, and you can create something very useful for people. So those individuals that don't have the time to research, don't have the time to go and look into the Netherlands police reports and these kind of things, have somewhere they can trust. And they know that when you present information to them, they can rely on it. You have your links. You have all the sources that you've used, any studies that you've referred to. You've analyzed them and you leave the link to the study and you present it. The third thing, which I think is the responsibility of the Hawza and Tullab in general, is to approach media from an academic and philosophical and particularly fiqhi uh, view, which is something which we have very uh, lagged behind on and we need to work on much more than before. But we didn't really get to go into it in depth, uh, unfortunately. Inshallah, maybe... In the future, if I wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, no. So I think but, this was amazing. And um, I definitely want to have you on again. And maybe even if we could look at some of the examples that your organization has gone through or some that they're researching presently. Right? Yes, and then we could discuss yes. that. Like the, right. the, whole, the whole issue of closing down prisons in the Netherlands, I feel, yeah. would be an amazing discussion for the whole podcast. Right? That's right. You've done the research and you could you could just present it and then we yeah. could go back and forth and try to figure out what that means to us. So I think that would be amazing, one. Yeah. And two, I think it would be great if uh, from that experience that you have, if you could kind of put together, not, a, not necessarily a course, but kind of like a, a couple of sessions that you could put together and yeah. kind of look, kind of present, this is the media, this is the danger of the media, this is how we can mitigate that danger. And if you could, if you could kind of present that to the community, I think that would be amazing because you've, you've done work in this field and you've, you know, you've dedicated a portion of your, of your time in Iran looking at these matters. I definitely yeah. think that could be beneficial to people. So have a think of it and then we'll figure about, we'll, we'll figure the platform later, but have a think Shab about whether we could do that in Shona. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good idea. In general, I don't see myself as someone particularly qualified to do something like that. But like you said, I've got a little bit of uh, humble experience, which may be of benefit to some people. And even the team that we work with in you know, Kharaj Bedouin Filter or the World Unfiltered, um, they are probably much more experienced than I am. And I've even spoken to some of the brothers in, in Qom about doing things in English language uh, and unfortunately when the coronavirus situation hit and you know everyone their schedules were really thrown off uh, it was a good opportunity but uh, nothing really uh, materialized but I still think that yeah it's something that needs to be worked on uh, inshallah uh, if there's a few good brothers that are interested in these kind of things uh, I think it's something that needs to be pursued Sure. And alhamdulillah, even in Iran now, um, there's a lot of work being done. Uh, Ayatollah Arafi, you know, the, the chancellor or principal of the Hawza, is doing his bath kharij now on social media. So, um, you know, he's uh, really analyzing these kind of things uh, from a fiqhi perspective and what media is in Islam and how we should even approach media and inshallah, that has uh, a, a lot of big potential to show some great thamarat, uh, some great fruits. And these are the kinds of things us, uh, us as uh, Tullab should also be pursuing in that coming up with a new framework for media, 
And these kind of things will also trickle down. So, inshallah, the future, I have a lot of hope. I do believe that as much as uh, we do have problems now, but, uh, you know, with tawakkul towards Allah Ta'ala and also depending on ourselves, trusting in ourselves, in our own abilities, I do have a high hope for the future. And I think we can make a very great things happen, inshallah. Thank you so much, brother, for yeah. participating. I apologize if I was too long-winded or if, uh, like I said, if it was boring. But, uh, you know, I hope uh, no, it wasn't too much of a headache having me on. I'd love to be able to discuss these things further, inshallah, in the future. It was our pleasure. Definitely our pleasure. Very much. Alhamdulillah. What? You haven't subscribed yet? Mate, get on the ball. Subscribe to the channel.